Joshua chapter 21. Linda asked me to mention before we get started that she'll be leaving Wednesday for uh, to go visit her brother who's having his kidney removed. So if you would keep him and, and their family in your prayers. Linda Gentry, I'm sorry. I suppose we probably got more than one Linda in the church. I don't know. <laughs> Linda Gentry's brother. I think he's he's been on the Wednesday prayer list, right? Yeah. Joshua chapter 21. Last week we looked at the six cities of refuge. And this is really the last chapter pertaining to the distribution of the land. The, the land itself has been divided into twelve amongst the twelve tribes, but now the, the Levites are going to be allocated their cities to dwell in in chapter 21. We're going to read the entire chapter. Joshua chapter 21, Then came near the heads of the fathers of the Levites unto Eleazar the priest, and unto Joshua the son of Nun, and unto the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel. And they spake unto them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan, saying, The Lord commanded by the hand of Moses to give us cities to dwell in with the suburbs thereof for our cattle. And the children of Israel gave unto the Levites out of their inheritance at the commandment of the Lord these cities and their suburbs. And the lot came out for the families of the Kohathites and the children of Aaron the priest, which were of the Levites, had by lot out of the tribe of Judah and out of the tribe of Simeon and out of the tribe of Benjamin thirteen cities. And the rest of the children of Kohath had by lot out of the families of the tribe of Ephraim, and out of the tribe of Dan, and out of the half-tribe of Manasseh, ten cities. And the children of Gershon had by lot out of the families of the tribe of Issachar, and out of the tribe of Asher, and out of the tribe of Naphtali, and out of the half-tribe of Manasseh in Bashan, thirteen cities. And the children of Merari by their families had out of the tribe of Reuben, and out of the tribe of Gad, and out of the tribe of Zebulun, twelve cities. And the children of Israel gave by lot unto the Levites these cities with their suburbs, as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. And they gave out of the tribe of the children of Judah, and out of the tribe of the children of Simeon, these cities which are here mentioned by name, which the children of Aaron, being of the families of the Kohathites, who were of the children of Levi, had, for theirs was the first lot. And they gave them the city of Arba, the father of Anak, which city is Hebron in the hill country of Judah, with the suburbs thereof round about it. But the fields of the city and the villages thereof gave they to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for his possession. Thus they gave to the children of Aaron, the priest Hebron, with her suburbs, to be a city of refuge for the slayer, and Libna with her suburbs, and Jeter with her suburbs, and Eshtimoah with her suburbs, and Holon with her suburbs, and Debur with her suburbs, and Aen with her suburbs, and Jeddah with her suburbs, and Beth with her suburbs, nine cities out of these two tribes. And out of the tribe of Benjamin, Gibeon with her suburbs, Geba with her suburbs, Anathoth with suburbs, and all with her suburbs, four cities. And all the cities of the children of Aaron, the priests, were thirteen cities with their suburbs. And the families of the children of Kohath, the Levites, which remained of the children of Kohath, even they had the cities of their lot out of the tribe of Ephraim. For they gave them Shechem with her suburbs in Mount Ephraim to be a city of refuge for the slayer, and Gezer with her suburbs and Kibzaim with her suburbs, and Beth Horon with her suburbs, four cities. 
And out of the tribe of Dan, Elteca with her suburbs, Gibbethon with her suburbs, Aijalon with her suburbs, Gathrimmon with her suburbs, four cities. And out of the half-tribe of Manasseh, Tanakh with her suburbs, and Gathrimmon with her suburbs, two cities. All the cities were ten with their suburbs for the families of the children of Kohath that remained. And unto the children of Gershon, of the families of the Levites, out of the other half-tribe of Manasseh, they gave Golan and Bashan with her suburbs to be a city of refuge for the slayer, and Veshterah with her suburbs, two cities. And out of the tribe of Issachar, Kishon with her suburbs, Debereth, Debera with her suburbs, Jarmuth with her suburbs, and Ganem with her suburbs, and four cities. And out of the tribe of Asher, Mishael with her suburbs, Abdon with her suburbs, Helkath with her suburbs, and Rehob with her suburbs, four cities. And out of the tribe of Naphtali, Kadesh, and Galilee with her suburbs, to be a city of refuge for the slayer. And Hamath Dor with her suburbs, and Carton with her suburbs, three cities. All the cities of the Gershonites, according to their families, were thirteen cities with their suburbs. And unto the families of the children of Merari, the rest of the Levites, out of the tribe of Zebulun, Jotnium with her suburbs, and Carta with her suburbs. Dimna with her suburbs, Nahala with her suburbs, four cities. And out of the tribe of Reuben, Bezer with her suburbs, and Jehazah with her suburbs, Kadamoth with her suburbs, and Mephaeth with her suburbs, four cities. And out of the tribe of Gad, Ramoth and Gilead with her suburbs, to be a city of refuge for the slayer, and Mahanaim with her suburbs, Heshbon with her suburbs, Jazer with her suburbs, four cities in all. So all the cities for the children of Merari by their families, which were remaining of the families of the Levites, were by their lot twelve cities. And the cities of the Levites within the possession of the children of Israel were forty and eight cities with their suburbs. These cities were everyone with their suburbs round about them. Thus were all these cities. And the Lord gave unto Israel all the land which he sware to give unto their fathers, and they possessed it and dwelt therein. And the Lord gave them rest round about according to all that he sware unto their fathers. And there stood not a man of all their enemies before them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. There failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel. All came to pass. And let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the the way that it can enrich our lives, the power that it has. And we ask that you once again give us wisdom to know the, the true meaning and to conform our lives to, to that which you would have it to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, one of the things that we kind of skipped over several times throughout the book of Joshua till we get to chapter 21 is a statement that has been made several times, which is the tribe of Levi have no inheritance with their brethren. The Lord is their inheritance. And you find that back in Joshua chapter 13 and, and several other places. And back in the, in the book of Deuteronomy, you recall that the, the tribe of Joseph had been uh, essentially split into two, that of the two sons of Ephraim and Manasseh, so that Levi would really be scattered and, and dispersed and spread out amongst all 12 tribes. So now when we get to chapter 21, we have once again, we have a group of people coming to Joshua and reminding them what the Lord had promised to them. And by now, you, you've probably recognized the pattern. Uh, back in chapter 14, 
Caleb had done the same thing. He had come to Joshua and said, the Lord promised me and and Moses confirmed the Lord's promise that I am to receive such and such. And, And Caleb said, I am here to claim my inheritance. And then we had in chapter 17, the daughters of Zelophehad, they they followed the same pattern. They came to Joshua and said, the Lord promised us something and we're here to claim what the Lord promised. And we have here in, in chapter 21, the Levites doing that. They are coming and saying, the Lord promised us something. And, and again, it was confirmed through Moses. And so we're following that pattern. We are here to claim what the Lord has promised. Give us cities to dwell in and places to, to pasteurize our cattle. Well, the, the thing is that, that we should have noted that Joshua is not critical of any of these, these groups of people. Caleb, the, da- the daughters of uh, Zelophehad and, and uh, the Levites now, Joshua's not critical of any of them. There's, there's no hint or detection that Joshua's critical of them. The, the, one, the ones that Joshua was actually critical of were the ones that we encountered in Joshua chapter 18, those that didn't ask. Those were the ones where Joshua had to say, you're slack. You're not eager to go possess and obtain what the Lord has promised you. Those were the ones that received criticism. But those that are asking are, are not being criticized in any way. And I, I, I believe the same thing of, of all three groups that have come and asked and reminded Joshua of the Lord's promises, and that is, I have a hard time believing that Joshua would have forgotten and uh, that Joshua probably would have saw to it that these, these things had been carried out even if the people hadn't come and asked and reminded him. But yet they did. And, you know, we, we do the same thing today. We bring our requests to the Lord. God doesn't need our reminders. Certainly God remembers everything. He certainly remembers all of His promises. He knows that He needs to take care of us. But yet we come and we make requests of Him because that's what He has asked us to do. Now, they approach everyone. You notice here they, they approach not only Joshua, but Eliezer and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of Israel because everybody but they have received their inheritance. They are the last ones to receive their inheritance. Jesus tells us in the Lord's Prayer to ask for things. You know, He tells us to ask for food. He tells us to ask for perfect, for protection. He tells us to ask for forgiveness. And again, we, you know, we know, God knows that we need all of these things, and yet we are told to ask. And the Levites, uh, you know, much like our pastors today, they, they are human, just like everyone else. They have needs, just like everyone else. They need the same things that everybody else needs. They need shoes. They need land. They need food. They need health care. They, they need all of those things. In verse number two, we see the beginning of the, the, kind of the, the, the breakdown of the tribe of Levi. Uh, Levi had three sons, uh, Kohath, Gershon, and Merari. You can read about them back in, all the way back in the book of Genesis and all the way back in the book of Exodus. Moses and Aaron were, were the sons of Amram, the, Amram, the grandsons of Merari, and the great-grandsons of Levi. And by the way, if, if you were to go back to Exodus 6.16, you would see that it makes it perfectly clear that the children of Israel did not spend 400 years in Egypt, which is something that is commonly taught. They actually spent 430 years sojourning, 215 years sojourning in Canaan, 215 years sojourning in Egypt. But again, we're not, you know, we're not here to, I don't want to get off on that, on that 
rabbit trail, but um, that, that's just interesting to, to note that. And, and as you study the names of these descendants of Kohath, and you go back to Exodus chapter 6, that becomes perfectly clear. Verse number 2 also we see that, notice at the end of the verse, the Levites are requesting land for their cattle. They say, our cattle. And again, there, there's nothing, they're not prohibited from owning things. They own things just like the rest of the tribes. They own cattle. Some people today would, would have their pastor be, be kept in poverty and, and, you know, on the brink of starvation if they had their way, thinking that somehow he is to live differently than the than, than the rest of us, but we don't see that here in the book of Joshua. The Levites had personal possessions just like the other tribes. Verse number 3, the Levites represented the priests through the line of Aaron. They also represented the, the laity, those that actually performed the, the physical labor, the taking down and the setting up of the tabernacle and the, the moving around of all of those things. Uh, All priests are Levites, but not all Levites are priests. There were many Levites who weren't of that line of Aaron that didn't function in that role. They weren't permitted to go in and make the sacrifices and to perform the service of the tabernacle. As a matter of fact, the Bible makes it clear that the, the other Levites who weren't of the priestly line, they weren't even allowed to look at the furniture in the tabernacle. They had to actually wait until the priests went in and covered the furniture up before they could even attempt to move it, or they would have been struck dead. So they they served different roles, but they were teachers of the law. The Levites were the teachers of the law, much like our pastors today are the, the preachers and teachers of God's Word. Turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. The Bible has a lot to say about the role of the Levites teaching the law. I'm just going to look at one example. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 7. Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 7 through 9. It says also, Jeshua and Benai and Sherebiah, Jamin, Achab, Shabbatiah, Hodijah, Messiah, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peleiah, and the Levites caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read in the book, in the law of God, distinctly, and gave the sense, and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, which is the Tershathah, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God, mourn not nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Notice there in verse 8, there the responsibility of the Levites was to give the sense. It was to expound the meaning. It was to elaborate. We can read the Bible for ourselves, but we're very thankful that we can come to church. We can listen to someone preach the Word and explain it in, in, in a lot better way than we can uh, understand it on our own. And that's what was going on here. We're not going to turn to these other, but I'll just mention several of these other passages that remind us of the the responsibility of the Levites to teach the law. Deuteronomy 24.8 says the Levites shall teach you. Deuteronomy 33.10 says the Levites shall teach Israel thy law. Second Chronicles 17.7-9 says throughout all the cities the Levites taught the people. Second Chronicles 35.3 says the Levites that taught all Israel. 
Malachi 2, 2 through 4 says, The Levites used the law of truth to turn away many from iniquity. I was talking with Omar Schrock on Sunday night at the potluck, and, and that's what he had mentioned, that he really appreciated the opportunity to have spent time here in this church to, to listen to pastors' in-depth teaching. He says he's not able to get a lot of that while he's in Brazil, while he's in Brazil. And so, again, much the same way the Levites functioned in the, in the Old Testament, that's the function of the pastors and the teachers in the New Testament. Now, in Joshua 21, verse number 3, you can turn back to Joshua. Joshua chapter 21, verse number 3. We notice that the children of Israel gave unto the Levites. All the children were owners. They had all received their inheritance, and so they all gave. Every Christian today should give generously to take care of their pastor. That's what we're taught in the New Testament. Everyone... I happen to live on a, on a private road that the county doesn't want to maintain, and so we have road dues, and everybody has to pay those road dues. Everybody enjoys the benefit of a dust-free road. When I moved out there 20-some years ago, it was a gravel road, and, and it's no longer that, and I'm very grateful for that. Everybody benefits from the snow removal that those road dues pay. Everybody benefits from the potholes that are filled that those road dues pay. Nobody has the option of not paying. Every once in a while, you know, there's 60 people who live on the road and there's there's one or two who don't want to pay. And the road association puts a lien on their house and they'll never be able to sell their house unless they pay. And they enjoy the same benefits and privileges that everybody else does. Now, I agree with Pastor, as he said last week when he was speaking about giving, the Bible in the New Testament makes it clear that it is voluntary, that it is not to be compulsory. Yet, on the other hand, I think the Bible makes it clear that everybody is expected to participate. Much the same way that that that, that takes place today with regard to the way we, we do things in the secular world. We all pay taxes, or we should all pay taxes. I'm very grateful for the benefits that I receive from my taxes. We have fire protection. We have police protection. We have rescue that's available. We have, you know, snow removal. We have all kinds of things that we benefit from our taxes. And, you know, what do they say? Death and taxes are certain. You're not going to get out of it. The other tribes, again, the other tribe, the other, the other 12 tribes have already had their land assigned to them before it was decided which cities are given to the Levites. That's the way it always works. God gives us something and then takes it away. That's, that's the biblical pattern. God God could have reversed that order. He could have decided which cities the Levites were going to receive first, but he didn't. He gave the land to the 12 tribes, and then it was up to them to allocate cities for the Levites. Same way he gives us things today, and then he expects us to give a portion of it back. We shouldn't do that begrudgingly. That's that's just the way it works in God's economy. Turn to Numbers chapter 35, verse number 8. Numbers chapter 35, verse number 8, verses 1 through 8 are an explanation of the, the inheritance of the Levites. We're not going to look at the first seven verses for the sake of time, but we'll look at verse number 8. Numbers chapter 35. It says, In the cities which ye shall give shall be of the possession of the children of Israel. From them that have many, ye shall give many. But from them that have few, ye shall give few. Everyone shall give of his cities unto the Levites according to his inheritance which he inherited. 
So God essentially says there in the Old Testament that the, the practice of giving there was consistent with the same principles that we see laid out in the New Testament. We're all familiar with 2 Corinthians 9-7 where God says that people are to give according as God has prospered them. God doesn't expect everybody to give the same. Those that have a lot are expected to give a lot. Those that have a little are expected to give a little. But everybody's expected to give. We looked at Deuteronomy 16, 16 through 17 a week or two ago, and that's those are the verses that tell us that everyone was to appear before the Lord in Shiloh, and nobody was to appear before the Lord empty-handed. And those verses also said that not everybody was expected to bring the same, but everybody was expected to bring something. Everybody could demonstrate in some way in which the in which the Lord had provided for them. Nobody could show up and say, I absolutely can't give anything because the Lord hasn't provided me anything. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12, we don't need to turn there either. But that verse makes it clear that God does not ask us to give what we don't have. God asks us to give out of what we have, but He doesn't ask us to give what we don't have. Now turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, which is a... New Testament teaching on the the obligation to pay the teachers. Galatians chapter 6, verse, verses 6 through 8. It says, Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived. God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. So this, this type of giving, giving, of, giving to those that are teaching God's Word is consistent in the Old Testament and the New Testament. I, I find the, the placement of this verse rather, rather intriguing. Um, Paul wrote, as, we, as we're well aware, Paul wrote many letters. In many, many of the letters he wrote, he doesn't address this topic. He doesn't feel the need to mention this, but he does here in the book of Galatians. To put this in today's terminology, Paul is saying, stop being a freeloader. I mean, that's what verse number 6 is saying. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Paul's saying, stop loading up on the benefits of good Bible teaching and not paying the teacher, not paying the Bible teacher. We understand this, in, in, certainly from a secular perspective. Uh, we, you know, none of us expect to go to college and not pay the tuition. I mean, we might get a scholarship, but, but as a rule, we, you know, when we sign up for a class, we expect that teacher to be paid. None of us expects to escape that responsibility. As I was thinking about this this week, I began to, to uh, think through the, the teachers that I had had over the years, and, and I, I had never done that before in terms of, of quantifying that number, and, and I was able to name six, over 60 different teachers that I had starting in kindergarten going through college. Uh, now, I went to rather large schools, especially in junior high, high school, and and college where you generally had a different teacher for every class. And so, you know, maybe I have certainly had a lot more teachers than some, but I was able to name 60 different teachers that I had. And I couldn't think of a one that wasn't deserving of their salary. I just couldn't. Uh, I could certainly think of a lot that were much more deserving, I'm sure, than they were getting paid. 
Uh, many of them, particularly the ones that I, the, the instructors that I had in college, they were, they were earning far less than they could have if they had gone out and, and obtained the type of job that I obtained shortly after graduating. They were teaching because they enjoyed teaching. They were teaching because that's what they wanted to do, and they were, they were really making quite a sacrifice to do that. We understand that principle. None of us would have expected them to do it for free. The word communicate here is, you know, in our King James Bible, it's translated in the New Testament consistently, but it means to, to, to pay monetarily. It's kind of an unfortunate translation. You know, some people probably wish that it literally meant what, what we think communicate means. Some people would think, well, as long as I tell my pastor, good job, that's enough. But in reality, it's saying just the opposite. Good, saying good job isn't enough. You have to, you have to demonstrate that you're, that you appreciate the teaching by actually paying your pastor. A lot of people take that for granted. You know, we wouldn't, we certainly wouldn't appreciate it if we showed up for our work tomorrow and, and, you know, they said good job, but, you know, no pay. We, we wouldn't, we wouldn't take too kindly to that. Notice here in verse 6, Paul makes this specific to each person. He says, let him that is taught. He doesn't say that it's the responsibility of the, of the, the corporate body to, to do this. Each person is responsible to contribute. Each person is responsible to do their share. Implied in Paul's statement, I think, is that some who are perfectly able to, to, to contribute aren't. Some are just relying on, on others to, to fill the gap. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. We'll look at another one of Paul's mentions of, of, of paying the, the pastor and the teacher. First Timothy chapter 5, verse number seven, verses 17 and 18. It says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the Scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle out the muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Paul is saying those that labor in the word are worthy of double honor. Uh, double honor is respect and monetary compensation. And, and Paul is really emphasizing there the labor. Uh, in other words, he's not saying those who dabble in the word, those who trifle in the word. He's saying those that earnestly put in a serious effort to teach and preach the word of God. In Hebrews 13.7 says, Remember them which have the rule over you, which have spoken unto you the word of God. And remember there doesn't mean simply to keep them in mind. It means to pay them, to take care of them is really the idea there. In John 21, 15 through 17, Jesus tells Peter three times to feed my sheep. As Dale Ralph Davis, one of, one of the, uh, the writer of one of the commentaries that I frequently use, said some churches are more interested in counting sheep than feeding sheep. And we know that that's very true. But Paul is, again, emphasizing here in 1 Timothy 5 the, the, the fact that preaching and teaching the Word of God is labor. It's hard work. And Paul was emphasizing that point to Timothy, letting Timothy know that if he was going to be a, an effective pastor, that he was going to have to put in the time. We shouldn't pay a, we shouldn't pay a, a, a part-time pastor a full-time salary. You know, we should expect them to earn what they're being paid. But we shouldn't begrudge those that earn it 
a good salary. We, should, we shouldn't begrudge them. They, they are deserving of it. That's one of the reasons that we pay the guys that fill the pulpit. We'll have three people today that will be preaching in pastor's absence. They will be paid. They're not going to be paid so much that there's a line forming of people who are volunteering to preach, but they're paid enough to emphasize the importance of the task. I mean, it's, it's important. It's, it's, it's worthwhile. You can turn back to uh, Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, 6 through 8. Most of us understand this. We're very realistic. We, we know. We, we don't really... We, we know that if, if, if our pastor were, were to have to take a, a part-time job or, or another job, that the ministries of the church would suffer. We understand that. We are very, we are very grateful. We, we, are, we, we benefit greatly from the privilege of having a full-time pastor. Who, who doesn't have to, to do that. One of the ideas that's really being presented here in Galatians 6, 6 through 8 is, is the idea that you get what you pay for. And, you know, faithful pastors are hard to find. Um, notice Galatians 6, 7. We, we, we many times, I, I know I did it for years, I, I'm guilty of doing it. We, we look at verses 7 and 8 separately than verse 6. But 7 and 8 really are within the context of verse 6. Verse 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. These verses tie directly back to verse number 6. Other verses support that. Other scriptures that Paul wrote support that. In 1 Corinthians 9, you don't need to turn there, but in 1 Corinthians 9... Paul makes it clear that it would have been perfectly reasonable for him to demand that the Corinthians pay him a salary. And he refuses a salary to remove any doubt about whether or not he's abusing that privilege, but nevertheless, he certainly makes it clear to the Corinthians that he would be entitled if he wanted to make that claim. In 2 Corinthians 9.6, Paul says, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. So both these, both these verses are pertaining to finances and, and material things. Paul is using the terminology of sowing and reaping, the same terminology that he's, he's using here in Galatians chapter 6. And of course, the, 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 the statement there in verse number 6 is to pay your pastor. So again, I think Paul is saying here, you get what you pay for. You know, he says, if you're unwilling to share your material things with your teacher then you are sowing to the flesh. In other words, you're keeping it all for yourself. Well, then you shouldn't be surprised when that's what you reap. You know, you, you, are, you are not going to be the beneficiaries of good teaching because you, you aren't paying your teachers. And, you know, really the Galatians, if you study the book of Galatians, they're, Galatians, they're really reaping the results of not having taken good care of their teacher. I think that's why Paul's bringing this up. Um. Paul kind of seems to be, you know, again, if you're familiar with the book of Galatians, Paul is, is seemingly almost beside himself with frustration with the Galatians because he is basically saying to them, you have exchanged the gospel of grace for a works-oriented salvation. You are, you are reverting back to Judaism. And Paul makes several references to the fact that, they, that the teachers that they have are the ones that are confusing them. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, Paul says, there be those that trouble you. 
In Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, there are those who have bewitched you. And in Galatians chapter 5, verse 7, Paul says, there are those who hinder you. All of these are references to bad teachers. So I think what Paul is saying here in Galatians chapter 6, he's saying, if you guys would pay your teacher, you could avoid a lot of the problems and the frustration that you're experiencing because you're allowing these false teachers to come in when in reality you should be paying the teachers who are teaching the Word of God correctly and they would help you avoid a lot of the problems that you're encountering. And isn't that what we expect today? You know, we, we, we pay our pastor, we pay him gladly, we expect that when we come that he's going to explain the, the Word of God to us so that we can avoid a lot of the pitfalls of life. We can understand the true meaning of it, that it's going to help us in our daily walk. So it's a great privilege. I mean, none of us should begrudge paying our pastor. I remember when I, when I first started coming to this church, which, which coincidentally I just realized happens to be 10 years ago today, I, I remember talking with Bill Hughes. Uh, I had known Bill from when he was filling in with, at the pulpit at Valley View years before that. And, and I asked Bill, I said, what do, you like, what do you like about Westwood Heights? And he said, well... He says, you know, there's a lot of good preachers out there. He says, but there's not a lot of good preachers out there that make good application. And I, I can see that, you know, the pastor does a good job of, of applying the word to everyday life. And so it was good observation. Now go back to Joshua chapter 21. Again, the, the relationship of our pastors and teachers in the New Testament is very similar to the relationship that the Levites were supposed to enjoy back here in, in the book of Joshua. And you don't get any indication when you read the book of Joshua that there was any begrudging on the part of those that, that gave of these cities, that gave of the, the land that the Levites were then going to be able to live in and to raise their cattle and raise their families. Joshua 21, verse number 4, the first lot comes out for the line of Aaron. And obviously, I mean, as we know, we, we've talked about this several times, it's certainly no accident. All of this was done, we're told many times, according to the word of the Lord. I mean, we, you know, we, we happen to be experiencing the, the, the NCAA basketball tournament where we, we have this billion-dollar billion pool, you know, and, and some people just roll the dice to try to, you know, or flip a coin to decide who's going to win, and they're probably doing just as well as, as anyone else in their bracket. Well, that wasn't what was going on here. You know, the Bible repeatedly emphasizes that this was all done according to the word of the Lord, and it's no accident that the first lot that comes up is for that of Aaron. Aaron, the tribe of Aaron, the priestly line, is going to receive the land that is close, that is surrounding Jerusalem. The, that is going to be the eventual location of the temple. Uh, their commute to work, if we want to call it that, isn't going to be terrible. It's not going to be real long because the, the priests are, are within that immediate vicinity. So that, that's what they are given. Now, verse number 5 goes on there from, it starts in verse number 4 with the priestly line, but then goes on with the remainders of the families of the children of Kohath. Verse number 6, we have the children of Gershon. In verse number 7, we have the children of Merari. And then in verse number 8, we, we once again have a reminder that this was all done according to the Lord. Look how it's read. And the children of Israel gave by lot unto the Levites these cities with their suburbs as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. This was all done according to the command of the Lord. They were given plenty of room. They were, they were allowed to spread out. Yes, Glenn. 
No, actually, yeah, no, actually they weren't. And and again, I I wasn't going to go back and you know when we were in Numbers chapter thirty-five, verse eight, we didn't look at the first seven verses, but they really describe a lot of what what's going on here. Verses 3 and 4 in Numbers 35 actually give the dimensions of how far outside the cities they were supposed to have. But it also is clear that the, they were to live among the people. You know, that, that they, weren't real, they weren't going to be isolated. You know, and, so, and that obviously was beneficial both ways. Right. Well, and maybe, you know, again, we don't know how many of them there were, but I mean, they may have been just given, you know, little pieces all over the place. I think that... The, the, I, I think the point really is, is made that they're, they're living amongst the people. So they're, they're really not, you know, they're not isolated. And I think that's one of, I, I think that's kind of an important point to make because, um, you know, in, in the same way that the Levites were going to, first of all, not only were they, were they, you know, there's 40, there's 48 cities, there's six cities of refuge and then the other 42 cities. These are these are distributed equally amongst all 12 tribes. And so not only are they going to be there to teach the law and to, and, and to help the people, you know, remain accountable to the Lord and keep them on track. But I think the reverse is also true. They need to be kept on track. It's good that they are intermixed amongst the people so that they're also kept accountable. Um, the same way, you know, our pastors today, you know, we. You know, as much as we rely on them to to point us in the right direction and to 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 live a godly example, you know, they're also among us, and and we we you know we're kind of responsible for keeping them in line too. You know, calling them into question if their behavior is out of line. I, I would guess that they did. Uh, but again, remember the priestly line. Oh, I, I, I think so. I think so. And, and remember the priestly line is the ones that are, that are surrounding the city of Jerusalem. So even, even when the kingdom's divided, you know, uh, following that through, you know, then you have to wonder if all of the priests remained in the southern kingdom and there were no priests essentially in the northern kingdom. Although we know that there were because we have, we have record of that in, in first and second chronicles. But certainly it wasn't a good situation. I mean, after the, after the division. But yeah, I, I think it's a two way street. Uh, again, you know, in the same way that the Levites were helping to keep the people in line, the people were also helping to keep them in line. I mean, you know, and, and Pastor, you know, is very good about actually telling us that he likes that accountability. You know, he, he's reminded us frequently recently, you know, that, you know, we have a responsibility that if he's to, you know, if he gets involved in, in certain types of behavior, you know, he expects us to throw him out. You know, and you know, he expects us to, to, to keep the church running according to biblical principles. Okay, verse number, verses 9 through 42 are the list of the 48 cities. And then in verse number 10, again, we have the emphasis here that the children of Aaron are receiving the first lot. And then in verse number 11, uh, we have reference to something that was kind of alluded to back in, in chapter 14 when Caleb was given the land. We're told that 
the city of Hebron is given. Now, that was the city that Caleb had specifically requested. And the fact that now a portion of the, the you know, again, exactly how the Levites were spread out amongst the city, that, you know, Caleb was not in any way stingy um, or selfish. You know, he was more than willing to relinquish a good portion of the city of Hebron in order for the Levites to live amongst them. And, you know, everything that we've seen with, with regard to Caleb's spiritual character would indicate he would have welcomed this. You know, he would have been more than happy to have had the Levites live amongst him. You know, he, he, he would have liked that accountability, at least, at least everything that I've been able to see of, of Caleb. And in verse number 12, we see that Caleb did retain, uh, you know, it says the fields of the city and the villages thereof gave they Caleb the son of Jephunneh. So Caleb still, uh, still retained some of the, the heritage of what he had asked for, but yet he's willing to share with the Levites. So again, you know, getting back to the, the point, I guess, that Glenn and I were kind of making, you know, we, we, we shouldn't have the attitude that, um, you know, it's the responsibility of the pastor alone to keep sin and idolatry out of the church. It's everybody's responsibility. I mean, it's, it's all of our responsibility. All of us need to uh, hold each other accountable. Verse number 13 it says, thus they gave to the children of Aaron the priest Hebron with their suburbs to be a city of refuge. And, you know, we, we looked at the cities of refuge last week. But again, the Levites, I, I think it's clear that they play a special role in really ensuring that those cities of refuge are serving the purpose for which they were intended. You know, the Levites are going to be the ones that are in it because it's no accident that those six cities of refuge are among the 48 cities that are given to the Levites. And so when that person who has killed someone accidentally, you know, unintentionally, ignorantly, when they flee to that city of refuge, they're going to rely on the Levites for having a solid knowledge of the law to know exactly how that situation is supposed to be handled and to make sure that that trial is fair. And to make sure that if that person is actually guilty of murder and not manslaughter, that they're executed. You know, this is not a, this is not a place for them to just live, you know, after they've, you know, committed premeditated murder. And so the, the Levites really have quite a responsibility here to make sure that these cities of refuge are, are serving the purpose that they're intended to serve. All right, anyone, does anybody have any comments they want to contribute? I think we're going to stop at this point since uh, we're about out of time. But we do have a few minutes if anybody wants to add anything or, or contribute anything. Anyone? Anyone?